When I was thinking about the exhortation this morning and looking back over the last few days' readings, um, a song came to mind, and I think quite a few of you will probably remember it. One of the verses goes like this. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble, give a whistle. And this will help things turn out for the best. Always look on the bright side of life. Well, always looking on the bright side of life is sometimes easier said, isn't it, than done. As it's very easy to grumble, isn't it? It's not a, not a problem being able to grumble about something. And it's part, I suppose, of the ethos of human nature that we actually, we do this, don't we? And sometimes we get things out of balance and we don't quite recognise all the blessings that we have. If you take the media, for example, they're always, there's always grumbles, isn't there, in the media. Fuel costs have gone down, that's great. And then someone will say, well, yeah, but they could have gone down earlier or they could go down a bit further. And then we get the grumble, don't we? Um, we're heading for this referendum, aren't we, on European Union. And already people are saying, oh, it's going to be great. And someone's saying, no, 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 he's got it all wrong. It, it's, it's not like that at all. And, and then you get the same the other way. And you get people grumbling, don't you, about one way or the other. And I suppose to some degree we're all a bit obsessed with the weather, aren't we? So it's easy to grumble because it's raining or grumble because it's not raining or grumble because it's sunshine or grumble because it's too hot. I mean, there's plenty of opportunities, aren't there, for us to have a, a good old grumble. And I know that sometimes I have a moan and a grumble when I get stuck in traffic and I'm trying to get somewhere and nobody's going anywhere. And we live in Dartford, so like the whole thing's gridlocked nearly every week on one day or another with people trying to get uh, through the tunnel and over the Thames. It's very easy to grumble, and yet Paul said in Corinthians, brethren and sisters, he said, do not grumble. And you can find that in Corinthians if you, if you look it up. It will always be so, won't it? Grumbling's natural and a malaise that can enter our thoughts and actions and sometimes over quite insignificant matters uh, if we're not very careful. But if we take Exodus with the wanderings of Israel and then we think about that as being really a type of our probation, then it's not surprising, is it, that we have a good old grumble because they had a good old grumble as well, didn't they? In spite of their circumstances and in spite of the things which they experienced and the things which they actually saw with their own eyes. But it all started, didn't it, in Exodus in, in, in Egypt. It all started with actually Pharaoh grumbling. And we read how... Pharaoh grumbled about the increasing birth rate of the Hebrews. And he said, well, this is, they're having too many children. They're getting too many people. But they were harnessing them and using them to help them with building things. 
And so instead of looking on the bright side and saying, oh, that's great, isn't it? We've got more so we can build more things. They were saying, oh, I'm not very happy about this. They're, you know, they're having too many children. There's, there's too many over here. And so he had a good old grumble. But if we look at Exodus chapter 5, we find that, that even dear old Moses had a grumble. Exodus chapter 5. So we're in good company. Exodus chapter 5 and uh, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble upon his people and you have not rescued your people at all and so he was grumbling really because I suppose he probably thought that it was going to be as we might say a walk in the park all he had to do was go into Egypt God was behind him and with him all he had to do was to go down there speak to Pharaoh and they'd all come out well it wasn't going to be quite like that was it at the Red Sea, with the Egyptians approaching, which we read just a couple of days ago, the people soon forgot about the miracles of the plagues, didn't they? Can you imagine that? They went through those plagues. Um, every few were announced to the people and they knew what was coming and Moses was saying, well, God's going to bring this and this is what's going to happen. And they went all the way through that and then they were released and they approached the Red Sea and suddenly they forgot the power of God, didn't they? Leave us alone, they said. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Well, really, when you think about it, that was a pretty foolish thing to say, wasn't it? God has gone to all this trouble to get them out, to march them over to the Red Sea, and then they're saying, what, we're going to die here? Well, no, God wouldn't have brought you to this point, would he, if that's what was going to happen. And then we read today, didn't we, uh, with Brother David, about how they then travelled three days. Now, three days after they thought they were trapped by the Red Sea, and the wind blew, and the seas opened up like two walls, and the ground underneath was immediately dry. And they walked through that, and they got the other side, and then the Egyptians started coming through, and all the water came back and killed them all, didn't it? So God again was there with them, helping them. Three days later, three days later, they go to Mara, and they've got no water to drink. And David read, and it says in the NIV, So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we going to have to drink? Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that that wasn't really the time to grumble, was it? With all that they'd experienced and where they were and God was with them and behind them. And yet they did. Now, if you go over to uh, tomorrow's reading, Exodus 16, 
we've actually moved on now one month from the time that they left Egypt. So we're talking four weeks now. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim, this is verse 1, and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they came out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. What a thing to say. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Gotten again, hadn't they, that God was there, God was with them, God was directing things, God was in charge. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. So the quails were provided then, weren't they? And uh, not on a regular daily basis. And the manna was there every morning uh, for them to eat. And then, of course, if you remember, later on we're going to read in Numbers where the people grumble so much about the fact that Moses is actually leading them. Well, if it wasn't Moses, would things change? But obviously they thought so, didn't they? And that's why there was that revolt to try and uh, stop Moses from being the leader. And of course, when that happened, Moses had to remind them, and, and here's perhaps a reminder to us as well, that the main point that Moses made, and made it very clear on that occasion and previously, that when you grumble, and the people, when they grumbled, they were grumbling against God. They were not grumbling against Moses, although they grumbled to Moses. How are we going to get across the river? How are we going to get some drinking water? Where are we going to get some meat to eat? But they were actually grumbling against God, weren't they? They were forgetting his very presence. They were forgetting that God's care was for them. And the fact that he wouldn't just let them die of hunger or thirst, especially as they had witnessed this great and miraculous power being operated in their lives. Now, in Mark's record tomorrow, which we needn't turn up, we've got that incident where uh, Jesus pushed this boat out with a number of his disciples into the Sea of Galilee. Now, even uh, today, you often get quite a storm brew up on the Sea of Galilee. And I was talking to someone recently who was out in a, in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And quite suddenly, the, the wind got up and there was a storm. And in fact, uh, when they tried to land 
a couple of boats were damaged. And that's how quickly it happens, because I guess the wind comes down off the uh, hills above. And Jesus was in this boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and suddenly there was this terrible storm. We can imagine the boat being pitched around. And of course, there was some panic amongst the disciples, although strangely enough, some of them were fishermen, weren't they? So they must have been pretty ready uh, to recognise the signs that, uh, of a storm, and no doubt they'd been through many more before. But they had a problem. And the problem was they were terrified. Jesus was laying down there fast asleep. What's going on? Do you know? And they said to him, didn't they? They went over and said, Why are you asleep? To quote the actual word, they said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like, wake up. You know, help out. But they were all selected people, weren't they? Jesus had said, I want you to come with me. Uh, Andrew, I, I want you as well. Oh, James and John, yep, can you come? Selected people by Jesus in a boat with him. Was he going to let them drown? No. But he knew, didn't he, of his power, and he knew the power of God, and why would he be concerned? Why not have a sleep? But they didn't quite see it like that, did they? We also have the uh, that other parable um, of the workers in the vineyard, you know, those who'd worked all day and then some came along for half a day and then some came along for a quarter of a day and some just did an hour. And then it was time to be paid out, wasn't it? They're all given the same. We read in that parable, Jesus said, when they received it, they began to grumble. He's only worked one hour. I've been here all day. What, I need to get the same as me? But the point was, wasn't it, that they were getting what they were told they would get. When I started the beginning of the full day, that was the pay. Yeah, that's fine. I start to grumble because he's only worked one hour and he's getting the same. Well, yeah, but he was told this is the wages that you'll get for an hour. So... Why are you grumbling? You're getting exactly what you were told you would get. Now, I suppose it comes down to the fact in the end, doesn't it, that when we try to exalt ourselves from the scriptures, that we have to find some sort of relevance to us, don't we? So, does the same go for us? You know, do we grumble, perhaps, unnecessarily? Do we grumble like the people under Moses or the disciples or the workers in the vineyard? Do we think things are a bit unfair one way or another when we shouldn't perhaps be feeling like that? I mean, when you stop and think about it, if you really feel that our hope is something amazing, that the Almighty has chosen you as a person to be connected to his plan for the future and the kingdom, like those men in that boat, 
what could we possibly find to grumble about? We're told by Jesus that his father knows all about us. He knows what we need before we even ask him. And if we dare to grumble, he knows the situation. And what we're forgetting is all the blessings then, aren't we? And we're concentrating on the little grumble that we might have about this or that. So there's a thought that God knows all about us and our circumstances 24-7. He knows what will help us much better in the long run than on our short-term solutions. And we know how we'd like to change things sometimes, don't we think? Well, if only... Even Paul did that, didn't he? He said, I've, tr- I've prayed three times to have this taken away, which was probably his eyesight. So he could preach more and do, do more. Oh, here's a quick solution here. Dear God, please help me. Yeah? And God didn't, did he? He, he carried on. Because the long-term solution from God was different to how he saw it as his short-term solution. Yes, God is attending to our needs. He provides us with what we want, even if we don't feel that we are having the attention that we need. And as we said at the outset, the problem is that we are inclined, aren't we, as as uh, humans, to look on the downside rather than the bright side. So how do we counteract this negativity? Because that's what we need to do, isn't it? Now, if I can find it, uh, in uh, Philippians, uh, yep, and you needn't turn to it, but Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 6. Well, now here's a, here's a verse which, which should apply to all of us and we should take it on board and remember it. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. And the result of that, if we're able to do that, and just remember that when we pray to the Almighty, nothing is off limits. He will listen to us. Present your requests to God. And he will answer that prayer, not necessarily how we would like it, but out of being able to communicate with God, and to be able to offload how we feel, then in verse 17, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's there to give us relief, isn't it? So that we feel much happier about things. Well, as we've been reading through the Psalms, which of course is our middle reading, Um, we find that they are full of positivity 
don't we? We can read the psalm and we can always find a verse or two which brings our minds sharply back into focus with our hope and our position before the Almighty. And we see this today, which is no exception. And uh, I know a sister who says to me, said to me, uh, if ever I wake up in the morning and I feel a bit grumpy and I'm not happy with myself, she said what she does is she gets her Bible and she opens it up at any psalm. And she just reads whichever psalm's there and she said, and I always feel better. Which is quite interesting, isn't it, really? In today's psalm, uh, which is Psalm uh, 69... We've got a couple of verses there, um, 69 and verse 30. And this is, this is the positivity, isn't it? This is not being negative and grumbling, but being positive and upright and thinking, well, this is good. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hoofs. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. And then in um, tomorrow's, uh, sorry, Psalm 70, uh, verse uh, 4. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad. You see how all the time it's how we should be looking on the bright side and not moaning and groaning, but give a whistle. May those, uh, sorry, verse 4, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, let God be exalted. Yet I'm poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And then in the next psalm, uh, verse 5. You have been my hope, O Sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Yes, he's been our hope and our confidence since our rebirth, hasn't he? When we were baptised. From my birth, verse 6, I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendour all day long. Yes, so we need to um, appreciate, don't we, what we have and how God constantly blesses us. And going back to the people in the wilderness, they didn't always do that, did they? As we would say today, perhaps at times they weren't able to see the wood for the trees. And sometimes we need to look carefully so that we can see the wood for the trees. To understand in some cases exactly what is going on and what we're experiencing and what the future holds. Now, um, Earlier on, we looked at a verse where the people grumbled about food, didn't we? And then God provided them with manna every morning. The people were in need of food and the manna was there 
for them. And we read, He gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for people to eat and he gave them the grain of heaven. That's a a quote from, from the Psalms. Well, we're not certain exactly, are we, what manna was, but it was found on the ground, a small round substance, whitish, like hoarfrost and coriander seed, with a honey taste. It'd be interesting to find some, wouldn't it, really? But uh, I don't think we can. But this was not just food, was it? It also had a spiritual lesson, recognised by an omer of it, being collected and placed in a gold jar and kept in the ark. But its real and lasting significance was to Jesus, wasn't it? And if we go to John, Gospel of John and chapter 6, Gospel of John and chapter 6, and... um, down to verse 30. They asked Jesus, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 41, Jesus said these things. At this time, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said I am the bread that came down from heaven they said is this not Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know how can we now say I came down from heaven stop grumbling among yourselves Jesus answered verse 49 your fathers at the manor in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. Jesus then says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So, how appropriate that our memorial of Jesus' life and death should incorporate bread to symbolise God's gift to us from heaven and the body of Christ, representing the life which he laid down for us. In Jesus' last message in Revelation, we have some encouragement. To him who overcomes, I will give 
some of that hidden manna. So, really in then, in the end, brethren and sisters, we really have nothing to grumble about, do we? When we get whatever our circumstances are, uh, in to some sort of proportion, as opposed to all the blessings which we have, and above all, the blessing of Jesus, and the blessings which we receive every day, which is as the Lord's uh, God sees we have need. And so we have everything, don't we, to be thankful for in true humility and sincerity. So when you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble. Give a whistle. And this will help things turn out for the best. Always look on the bright side of life.